Where do ideas come from? Where do they show up from? How do you cultivate them? How do you grow them? How do you take an idea that pops into your head and make it real? Because that, that is the essence of entrepreneurship. An idea comes to you, you take it, you grow it, you build it, you pitch it to people, you make it real and you build a business. In today's show, I'm so excited to have Travis Shakespeare with me. Travis is the Senior Vice President of Unscripted Programming for BBC Studios Los Angeles. He oversees creative development for many shows, including the multi-Emmy award-winning Life Below Zero on National Geographic and the BBC's number one motoring franchise, Top Gear America. As well as that, he, as a side hustle, produced the documentary Playing With Fire, which uncovers the financial independence community and tells the story of financial independence and he built that whilst having a full-time job and that has ended up on the Forbes top 10 finance documentaries of the last decade. So I am so excited to introduce to you Travis Shakespeare. The extraordinary belongs to those that created. Rebelling against business plans and debt rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the show, Travis. I've been dying to have you on the show ever since I saw the documentary Playing With Fire, found out about what you were doing and you are in one of the most creative industries and you take ideas and you make them real do you have a process for that i mean how do you pull something out of your head and turn it into something real you know that is a very difficult question to answer to be honest with you um i've been thinking a lot about it especially over the past couple of months during the covid lockdown and you know, there is some mystery to the process, I think, but there are anchors and stakes along the way that can help, let's say, elicit the mystery, the mysterious help from beyond that's required in all creative <laughs> enterprise. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we can go through some of that, but it's, it's a complicated process. There are certainly days when I sit back and I think, I, I, I kind of sit back and wonder at the fact that it even happened, that we got from the idea to the product. I, have, I don't know if you've ever had that experience as well. It's like you have an intention, an idea, and next, not next thing you know, it could take a month, a week, two years, 10 years, but suddenly it appears in material form in the world. And what happens in between the intention and the materialization? I think that's the big question. That is absolutely the question. It, it's what in between the two, because I think they're entrepreneurs have ideas. There are ideas out there. And most of the people listening to this show have ideas. And whether they're good ideas or not is a whole nother thing. And I've had plenty of ideas. But it's that, where does that spark come from? The idea comes and then between the two. And I know in my career, sometimes you look back and go, I had that idea ages ago, and I wrote it down. And I can't even remember writing it down. But all of a sudden, it's real. That's right. I mean, it's funny, because like with playing with fire, I remember very specifically, I had gone on Chautauqua with Jail Collins, Mr. Money Mustache, Brandon the Mad Scientist, and Jeremy from Go Curry Cracker. And at the end of the week, I went to them and I said, if I make a documentary about this, will you guys be in it? And that was in like 2016 or 2015. And then it, takes several, it took several years and meeting Scott Rickens before that actually became a reality. So that's really interesting. You had the idea... Was it at Chautauqua that you had the idea? Yes. And this is how it happened. I, was, I felt so much gratitude for what they had brought to my life that I thought, is there anything in me that can help to promote this subject matter in a broader fashion? And of course, because I work in TV and film, you know, I was like, naturally, I could do a documentary. I didn't know what the documentary would be. I just knew that my skill set combined with that idea could become something. I love that. So the, actually the idea for Playing With Fire and just for the audience, Playing With Fire is the documentary about financial independence. You can find it online and check it out. It's a fantastic look into the community and the subculture that Travis is talking about. But the idea was kind of born out of gratitude by the sounds of it. That's right. 
That's right. It was born out of gratitude. And I think that, you know, having a strong emotional component is vital for any creative endeavor. I think the worst way to come up with an idea is in a sterile, non-emotional space, because there must be passion. You know, and anybody listening who's an entrepreneur or an artist knows that to get something from point A to point B requires enormous effort, patience, cultivation. And if you don't have a strong emotional start to that, then it just won't catch fire. That emotional start can be like in this instance, gratitude, which is really love, or it could be fury, sadness. These things are required in order to fuel the creative process, in my opinion. And in the case of entrepreneurship, you can probably speak better to this than I. What is the emotional package there that's that's fueling the fire? I think it's different for everyone. I mean, I, I take myself for pop-up business school. Mine was anger. I'd been mm -hmm. through a process to help people start businesses that was business plans and loans and debt that nearly put me off. And I was angry with the way it was taught. And that passion, that energy, that anger was what drove me to get out there and say, this needs to change. And that was the energy. Mine came from anger. And one of the techniques we talk about at Pop-Up Business School is actually the rant technique. What gets you angry? What makes you mad? Uh, mm -hmm. And it actually doesn't really matter where the emotion comes from, whether it's love, whether it's anger, whether it's passion, whether it's something that needs changing. But I, def I agree completely. It's that emotion that drives the energy and the ideas. That's right. And you can, you can probably look into your past and say, because I know you and you've had a billion ideas in your life. And I bet if you look at the ones that are on the floor that never went anywhere, they didn't have that passion behind them. Yeah, because it just doesn't find the drive. It doesn't That's find right. the drive. And some of them have been great ideas. Some of them have been fabulous ideas, but I just haven't had the drive to make them happen. And you're absolutely right. The amount of energy it takes to bring an idea to reality is unbelievable. So you came up with the idea for the documentary Playing With Fire. It wasn't called that at the time, Ashtakra, and you put the idea out there. What happened then? You, the idea was a documentary on financial independence. What happened then? What happened then is the next component, I guess, of the creative process, actually. This is great because we're defining it as we go, which is how to solve a problem, right? I yes. think that's the next thing is what problem am I solving? And my problem was how do I turn a group of spreadsheet nerds, you know, engineers, <laughs> not usually, you know, typically the most dramatic people into a piece of drama that will connect emotionally to an audience? And how do I take math and make a story with human beings out of the math? So for those of you who don't know about financial independence, there's something called the 4% rule, which says that if you have a portfolio of, say, a million dollars invested in stocks and bonds, you can pull 4% or $40,000 off of that portfolio for 30 plus years, maybe even forever. How do you turn that into a compelling movie? <laughs> How do you take the 4% rule and make a compelling movie? That's got to be one of the biggest challenges out there, taking a spreadsheet and maths based on a university study and making it interesting for people. It was a huge challenge. It was a huge problem to have to solve. So that was where I started. And then just in terms of the process of getting the film manifested, I started writing about it. You know, I started creating a treatment in TV and film. A treatment is basically like an outline for what you want to do, what you're going to see on screen. And I created a mood board, which is I went online and I found images that looked like the way that I wanted the film to look. You know, and I started populating a document on Google Docs with my ideas. I could do this. I would need a scene that would look like this. I would need a character that could do this, blah, blah, blah. And little by little, I created a visual representation of what the movie would be for me. And then I got held up with my job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I actually cast the whole movie. I called everybody that I could find in the fire movement. And I said, will you be in the documentary? Will you be in the documentary? And I locked everybody in. So I knew that I had all the experts that would participate. But what I didn't have was the central narrative driver of the story itself. I knew how I would gather the information, but I didn't have the story. 
Then my job got in the way and I had to put it on hold for almost a year. And just as I was coming out of the clouds of the demanding project that I had at my job, I heard Scott Rickens go on a podcast and tell his story about how he and his wife had just discovered the financial independence community. And he wanted to make a film and had started documenting his own life. And I was like, that's my driver. That's exactly the piece that was missing. So this goes into the mystery, right? Because at a certain point, when you take action toward something that you have a strong feeling about and a problem that you are really trying to solve, something intervenes and starts helping. This is where we go a bit woo-woo, Travis, and start talking about the universe and things happening. And (laughs) I know this is coming. (laughs) But it is true. It always happens. You meet the right person. Suddenly the financing shows up. Alan Donegan knocks on your door. And says, we're going to do this. Let's make it happen. That's right. Help does come. I've been trying to find this quote. There's this amazing quote that I can't find it. I forget who said it, but it's something like, if you simply take the action and move in the direction of your dreams, the universe will respond. Now, I don't think that it's really woo-woo because I think of these things in sort of chemical and physical ways. So like if you throw a rock in a pond, it creates ripples, which is basically a form of energy. And if you take bait and you throw it on the forest floor, birds will flock to it. So it is a fundamental principle in nature that if you push energy out into the system, the system will respond. Is that woo-woo? No, no, it makes complete sense. It, it, you've actually described it better than I ever could, which is probably why I wanted you on the podcast. I've never been able to describe it in such simple terms because I've always said I have the idea, then I start doing stuff. And I think the bit you described about the mood board writing the treatment, writing it down is one of the most critical elements of making ideas real that I've ever come across. And then the next step, which you did by ringing everyone, is the telling everyone you're going to do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the missing step in a lot of entrepreneurs' plans, is they have the idea, they maybe even get some energy to write some notes, and then it just noodles in their brain. And they don't take the next step, which is actually throwing the bait out, throwing the stone in the pond, like creating that thing that creates ripples. And you've described it far better than I could. But it's that pitching it, and that's where my magic happens, is I have an idea, and then I go and tell everyone, anyone I can find who will listen, (laughs) and their responses tell me whether it's a good idea or not. That's right. If I do it enough, you're right. Like The people I pitch to rarely are the right people, but if I do it enough, the universe eventually throws the right person at me, and I don't know how that bit happens. I really don't understand that bit. But it's between idea, write it down, and then share it everywhere. There's some kind of magic that happens there that finds you the right person, the right piece, the right thing. Yeah. And do you have any tips on how people can... I always want to make it happen, Travis. I'm very much a driver. I want to make it happen. And I've not yet found... Like, What's the secret to that middle piece? The middle piece of declaration? Yeah, the sort of... How do you make the universe respond? How do you get the ripples? How do you yeah. debate the... You magicked yeah. up Scott Rickens <laughs> as the yeah. star of the show, or maybe Scott was out doing it and he magicked you up. I don't know. Right. But something happened there where you two came together through a podcast and the chances of that are unbelievably small. That's right. You know, so... One thing that occurs to me is that the declaration piece, I think, is absolutely vital. I think that it's also extremely scary for people to do that. You're amazing in your fearlessness. I've always admired that about you. But to go out and declare something into the world can be really frightening to people. And I think that the antidote to that fear is cultivation. Okay, so let's back up in our process. You have an idea, you start taking some efforts, like making a mood board or writing things down. There's a wonderful dancer named Twyla Tharp who has a book called The Creative Habit that I always really loved. And she creates dancing, like out of thin air (laughs) comes 
all these dancers in unison doing something that becomes art. Like, how the hell do you do that? And she says, you start with a box. And every time she wanted to do a piece, she would get a cardboard box and then she would just start filling it with inspiration, Mm. like leaves that she saw on the ground or a DVD that she watched. And she cultivated the energy around the project at hand. So, you know, I, I agree writing things down is really important, but writing doesn't work for everybody. So, you know, and like I did a mood board, right? Because I'm working in a visual medium. So the fabric that you want your product to be made out of, get a ream of it, roll around in it, live with it, make pillows out of it. You know, say you want to become a dressmaker, find the fabric, spend time in the fabric store, talk to people about fabric, cultivate. And what will happen as you do that is it will gain power. The project will will start attracting more energy and more attention from you. You'll start dreaming about it. (laughs) You'll start dreaming about your dresses (laughs) and your Etsy shop. Do you guys have Etsy in the UK? We do indeed, yes. Okay, so you'll start dreaming about what the storefront looks like. So there's visualization. Maybe there's songs that cultivate the energy or the feeling of the project that you're trying to inspire. And I think for me, once I have a strong enough starter, so let's think about sourdough bread, right? You've got to get starter going. Yes, let's think about sourdough bread. (laughs) (laughs) Shall we? (laughs) This might be a distraction, yes. (laughs) Can we please think about sourdough bread and how good it is? But you have to start out with the mystery of the bacteria and whatever it is that gets in there that starts creating your bubbles and eating away at the starch. And and it becomes alive, literally. It literally attracts life out of the system. That's the magic part. I get how people go, oh, it's woo-woo, but you don't want to do that because it's actual physical process that's happening. So out of the thin air, out of the invisible air come these bacteria and yeast and everything else that mix together. And over time, which in this case is just overnight or a couple of days or something, you have this magical starter. And then you have to rise your bread. And then you have to stick it in the refrigerator again and cover it up. And like the whole process of making sourdough bread before you get to turn on the oven, stick it in there and pull it out and have a beautiful, warm, lovely, yeasty smelling, fresh piece of baked bread to go with your soup. I've just drifted off to San Francisco and eating the sourdough bread by the pier. Uh, <laughs> That's right, with the clam chowder. It's Unbelievable. incredible. So coming back to creativity, um, <laughs> I love the idea of the box where you throw in all the ingredients. I'm imagining entrepreneurs now, like if you are thinking, if you're listening to this show and you've got, you're thinking, I want to run a business, I want to do something, but I don't have the idea yet. Where does the idea come from? You've got some practical steps here of find the box or your digital version of the box. I use an online tool called OneNote, which you can stick audio clips and pictures and film in and text. And you can just draw on it with a pen. And that's my sort of sandbox or my box where I put all the things together and I start to collect all this stuff. And then it starts to, you're right, coalesce into something. So there is a practical step to creativity, which is gathering all these resources, ideas and things and putting them together to make something that's bigger than it is. That's right. And that's the actual work, right? So that's the stuff where you have to go, okay, on Saturday morning, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to find the song that speaks to this project, or I'm going to write down every idea that I have. That's where the blood, sweat, and tears part comes in, which is vital as well, because we can't just wish these things into existence either. There's a combination. So it sounds like there's a combination, Travis, of pulling it out of your own head and finding inspiration from other people. Yeah, that's right. What's the blend between the two for you when you, I mean, do you have an idea you're working on at the moment? I do. I have a couple of different ideas. One is just around this this topic of creativity in general. I've been thinking really long and hard about this during the entire COVID lockdown. I've been putting my development team through a bunch of experiments 
to see if I can crack the code on how to make creativity productive, which is a big part of my job because I work in a creative field. And then I also have a a scripted series that I'm working on based in Alaska that I'm very much in the cultivation process on right now. Interesting. Um, Yeah. So if we take the project with the team where you're trying to make creativity into something productive, your goal is to help the team be more productive. So you've got a goal. Where did you get the ideas to put them through? Where does this come from? So you've got your goal. You know you want the team to be creative and to produce ideas. What do you then do there? How do you go from that goal to an idea that you implement? So, you know, again, I ask myself the, the problem that I want to solve is how, how let, let me back up for a second. When I first thought of this idea, I was thinking about, so we're knowledge workers, right? Yes. And knowledge workers are unfortunately subjected most of the time to a factory floor model of production. So after agriculture, we went into the industrial revolution, they put everybody on the factory floor and you got to create your own little widget in the factory line. And that that was translated into cubicle farms where we all slave away, you know, (laughs) in misery under fluorescent lights. I mean, it's just the worst possible environment you can imagine for creativity. And yet that's our norm. So when COVID struck and we all had to go work from home, I saw a huge opportunity open up whereby we were relieved of the bad environment and I could start working with each individual in a new way. Like it was a great opportunity because everything broke, the system broke. And when the system, when anything breaks, that's a great opportunity to go in and try to find a new way through, right? Yes. That's a huge part of entrepreneurship, right? (laughs) Well, yeah. In any major change, there is knockout opportunity. And it's your job to find it and then do something about it as an entrepreneur. And you're exactly right. COVID has created unprecedented change. There's that word again in what we're doing and how we do things. So you saw that, you saw it change the cubicle farm, you saw it change the process, and you were like, right, I'm going to use this as an opportunity and solve the problem of creativity. Yeah. What I wanted to do is see if I could increase and improve the quantity and the quality of our output. So in my field, we pitch TV shows all day, every day. That's what we do. Yes. And we've got a team of people who are sitting around trying to figure out what's the next Dancing with the Stars, what's the next Top Gear. Like, And of course, it's extremely competitive because there's millions of other people out here doing it at the same time, right? Yes. So I started trying to look into, first of all, I asked them, how do you know when you have a good idea? How do you know an idea is good? Hmm. And this is a really difficult question because what I've found is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who's done this for my whole life, right? So I have a, a long history. I've put my 10,000 hours in, and a lot of this happens subconsciously for me. Yes. And I know most of my ideas are bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's I mean, a good I just first take, step. <laughs> I take that as a, as a truism, you know? It just, it just is true. Most of the ideas that I have are bad because they're mostly associative. It's like, oh, there's a... There's a yellow thing. Maybe I should make a yellow thing. Maybe, wait, maybe I should make a, an orange one of those. Okay, not necessarily inspired. Yes. Um, but because of my level of experience, I also subconsciously am continuously rejecting all those bad ideas. So when I have a good idea, it's because I've already rejected a thousand bad ideas out of hand. And to get to that, I think either requires enormous talent just out of the womb or you got to put in your 10,000 hours Which, to get there. I guess brings us to the question, are creative people born or is it something you can develop? Do you genuinely believe people can develop creativity as a skill? A hundred percent. Because every living thing is creative. So as a creative being, you are by definition creative. So how do and I practice it? How do I develop it, Travis? Well, Creativity comes in many, many, many different forms. And unfortunately, the way that our culture works, we sort of glorify one kind of creativity, which is like things like media, right? Like movies or novels. And people go, oh, I could never write a novel. And the fact of the matter is that, okay, 
not everybody is going to write a novel. Is everybody capable of writing a novel? Yeah, I th- probably, if you really grind, grind it out. Is that your destiny? No, not necessarily. Because your destiny might be creating a backpack that revolutionizes the backpack industry. Now, you're not going to probably end up you know, on the nightly news for having done that. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the unsung quiet hero of countless uh, commuters, but you're not going to get the glory of fame and all that stuff. But you have figured something out that's super useful and vital and actually has a direct impact on millions of people. It just doesn't fall on the glamour land. So does the woman who creates the revolutionary backpack, is she a novelist? Maybe, maybe not. But you know, every single person that comes into the world comes in with a very specific, unique identity and perspective. And it's like how every snowflake is different. Every person is different. And therefore, the way that you interact and per- with the world and perceive the world and the way that you reflect back your perceptions, which is essentially what creativity is, is going to be unique and, and only possible for you to do. I love that, Travis. So quite, one of the things you said a minute ago, which I found really interesting, was you said you'll have thousands of ideas that you reject to get to the good idea. And I know I've had that myself. Do you edit your own ideas as you go? Or do you let all of the ideas come out and then judge them later? How do you go about that? So to answer that, I think I'll reach back to a little earlier in my career, because it will probably be a little more instructive for somebody that's trying to get going. I remember when I first started working in television, and I wanted to become a producer. And in my field in unscripted television, a producer is basically the director who puts the show together. They write it, they film it, you know, with the camera guys, they put it through the edit. Like I was working on a show called Deadliest Catch, which is about crab fishermen in Alaska. And I really wanted to to learn how to produce the show. So what I did was I went in and I took three episodes that had already gone to air and I dissected them minute by minute. Wow. On it, I got out a legal pad and I went through and I stopped and started minute by minute and I dissected how the show was put together and what was the structure because I didn't know how and I kind of had haphazardly tried to do it and failed. And so I used my analytical mind to dissect it and figure out how it was made. And then I mimicked that in my next effort. Was it a great piece of television? Probably not. But it was fully formed and it worked. And you you built on something that was already there. And whilst you're talking, I'm thinking about my speaking career and I did exactly the same thing. I bought a DVD of all of the world champions of public speaking and their speeches. And I sat there with my laptop out making notes. 10 seconds in, they ask a question. 20 seconds in, they do this. 30 seconds in, he's telling a story. And I've watched every championship speaker and I've dissected what they're doing, worked out how they did it, and then started to implement it to my own talks. And you're right, I was nowhere near as good as them to start with. But after practicing and practicing and practicing, my skills started to develop. And then I could put my own ideas into the structures that I found elsewhere, which I knew worked. That's right. And it's, it's really hard to do that. Because, you know, you have to face the fact that you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> and, I, I kind of laugh at that one a lot. Because uh, yeah, <laughs> anyone who knows me knows that most of the time I'm just making it up, Travis. <laughs> but you know it's and that's not an easy thing to do and i think it's hard because you think especially when you're starting out and you you want to do something and you want to have success you think that you're supposed to just magically have that and that every idea is going to like become that but unfortunately that's not how it works unless you're a genius and the vast majority of us are not geniuses (laughs) i've not really met that many I've never met any, and I know that I'm like so far from genius level that it's not funny because it takes me way too much work (laughs) (laughs) to get there. Well, maybe your industry has painted an unrealistic expectation of what a genius is like, 
uh, whereby you see it in the movie and they just magic up the idea and it's perfect first time. I don't know anyone who actually does that. No, in fact, the genre of genius films, if you do what you do with your speeches and break them down, they all follow the exact same formula. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Which is, yeah, which is not how the geniuses that we give that attribution to did like Van Gogh versus Michelangelo versus, you know, Twyla Tharp. They do not follow that narrative. But Hollywood figured out the narrative that they could sell to the average person, and it worked. And they made a lot of money, inspired a lot, a lot of, of people. Yeah. Uh, but the, the view of genius that I loved was the Einstein one, of him sitting there running thought experiments in his brain. And he sits there and he imagines things happening. And that was his genius and creativity. And I love that. And, you know, I can sit in a comfortable chair and imagine things. I can do that. And if I do it repeatedly, I kind of test it. And eventually I see of a way that I might be able to make it work, which I go and test in real life. That's right. You know, Einstein has one of my favorite quotes on creativity. He says, creativity is contagious. Pass it on. Oh, I love that. And that's been that's my inspiration right now for this work on creativity. I want to pass this on. So for all the people listening to the show, what do you want to give them? Like if there was an idea, a thought, a process, an exercise, what would you tell people to do? What do you want to give them or make them do? Well, you have to come at creativity from the emotional side and the practical side. So for anybody that's trying to come up with an idea and, and manifest something in the world. I think that what we hit on early in the conversation is really important, which is look to where you have strong emotion around a problem that you want to solve. And if your ideas don't pass that litmus test, they probably are not going to manifest. They might, but they're not going to be your best work. So that's the first thing. And embodied in that is the, the need and the necessity to embrace failure. Failure is such a huge component in creativity. I mean, it is creativity's companion. Yes. So you, you must embrace failure. And then from there, so if you've got a problem that you are passionate about solving and you embrace the idea that getting from that to the point of manifestation is going to require a number of steps of what we would call failure, but really it isn't. It's just part of the <laughs> soup to get there, um, then you'll be well on your way. I think this idea of cultivation and declaration are super important too. And be patient. You have to be patient because that's the other part, Alan, and I bet you can identify with this. We don't know how long any of these things is going to take. You have no idea. You have Do you no agree idea. with that? Yeah, yeah, you just don't know. I mean, uh, as you speak, it reminded me I think it was 2016, I came up with the idea of doing a TV show based on Pop-Up Business School, and I scribbled out eight or ten ideas on A4 sheets of paper and went to one of my friends, Alistair, who's a news reporter for the BBC in the UK, pitched him my ideas, and for nearly all of them, he looked at me as if I was insane. Um, <laughs> but there was a couple in there, he went, oh, that's interesting, and that gave me the clue of where to go. And... Mm -hmm. That was the first genesis of the ideas. And then only recently, four years later, after talking to so many different people and pitching the idea and doing all sorts of different things, has it actually started to come true. But it, you never quite know how long it's going to take. And I think most people give up far too quickly. Yeah, I agree. So if you were talking to someone, like you have produced the Playing With Fire documentary as for want of a better term, a side hustle. Because you had a full-time job that took a lot of your energy and you had the dream of creating the documentary on the side. If you had advice for someone who's got a full-time job, but they've got this dream of this thing they wanted to create, what advice would you give them? Yeah, you have to make space and you have to create time and space for the project. So <laughs> when I look back on the amount of hours and work that playing with fire took over about a two year period. I can't believe it. It's just insane. And when I think of the fact that I was doing that with a full-time job, I don't even know how we got it done <laughs> to be, 
to be honest with you. I do remember a number of moments being really stressed out and about a two month period in the edit when I thought I was going to lose my mind because I was, you know, I gave up many weekends, many nights. You have to be prepared to sacrifice time and you have to block out the time. You have to guard the time. With the documentary, it was easy because like I knew that we would be shooting certain scenes. So I would just, we would just book tickets, airplane tickets to go to the location where we were going to go shoot. And then I was, that was it. I was stuck. (laughs) (laughs) Then you kind of have to do it. You kind of have to do it, you know, because like anybody, I'd rather drink beer in my hammock than do any kind of work, (laughs) 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 you know? So you have to trick yourself sometimes into the commitment. I love that tip. I just like to highlight that the booking it thing. That is exactly how I made the first season of this podcast happen was I booked the people I wanted to speak to for the episodes into my calendar. And then that's it. Like there's a day, there's someone waiting for me on the other side. I have no choice. And I just did it. And I think it was about two to three weeks. I recorded all 25 episodes of season one, more or less. And the only reason it happened is because I put it in the diary. Yeah. Yes, that that commitment, even if you feel like an imposter, can go a long way. Like I, I have a dream of getting a musical produced on Broadway, and I found I found a uh, a great script, and I'm trying to get that made. And I, you know, I what I did was I don't know how to produce live theater. It's different in many ways from TV and film. So you know, I, last year I went and I did a three day long course. I took a course on how to produce live theater. I love that. And then. You know, again, that was like a commitment thing where it's like, okay, I booked an airplane ticket. I flew to New York City. I paid for the hotel. I paid for the class and I did an intensive, right? And now I'm just at the beginning stages of finding investors for the project. So, you know, there's a certain outlay of cash that has to happen for legal purposes. And that's another form of commitment that sort of ropes me into the project. Because it's like, okay, are you going to spend $5,000 on legal fees for this thing just to get it going? And I look at it and I I literally have that fight with myself. I'm like, I'm not spending $5,000 on this. (laughs) That's a lot of money, you know? That's a lot of of beer in the hammock. Exactly. Like, think of all the beers that I could drink instead of, you know. But that's, that's just it, you know? But I know that in order to activate myself, and force the commitment that once I spend that money, another part of me will come up and be like, well, dude, you just spent $5,000. Don't be a jerk. Get on the phone. You have to Make do it. phone calls. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like you're letting us down over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is your financial team in your head. You're letting us down, Travis. Exactly. Come on. <laughs> So I think I think that's really useful. And I wanted to go back really briefly to the idea of passion and solving a problem, because I know that some people out there are probably thinking, I don't have a passion. I don't know what I really care about. And I think that something that you said, which is a great tool for any salesperson, is to float ideas and see what the world responds to. Yeah. So if you don't necessarily have some great love or some great anger uh, that's fueling your fire... If you get enough feedback, like with my musical, I'm starting to pitch it out to a bunch of different people in New York City who are in the business. And I can tell it's hot because of the level of response that I'm getting, which that then tells me, okay, you got the right piece of project here. So that's, I think that's a, that's a good go around. If you can't figure that, (laughs) what am I doing with my life? Peace out. Um, (laughs) The world, the world can help inform you (laughs) if you listen. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. If you can listen to the universe, and by universe, I just mean people and energy. And you're exactly right. The only way to know if the project will work or not is by the responses you get. And if people are buzzed and excited, if they're responding well, that's the sign to dive into that one. I've pitched many ideas to cricket. (laughs) I know to move on swiftly. And Travis, one of the things you said a second ago, which really inspired me was that you didn't know how to produce a Broadway show. So you booked yourself on a course of how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is incredible. When I was in LA last time, I just Googled, how do you do a TV show? How do you do an unscripted TV show? And there were training courses. And they were surprisingly cheap. 
I booked myself on and I would go weekly on different courses to learn things. And I think you are an Emmy award winning producer of TV shows. And yet you're humble enough to go back to a course and learn from someone else. Have you always been a lifelong learner? Have you, do you see yourself like that? What makes you want to go on courses and do this stuff? <laughs> I am a lifelong learner. I love learning. It's just a great joy to me in, in life. I don't know if humility, I guess it is humility because I've had my butt handed to me enough times in life to know <laughs> that if I don't know something, it's worth trying to figure it out before like sticking my hand in the fire, you know? Yes. And also there are people who've figured stuff out that can shortcut you that if you did it all on your own, out of your own pride, you're like, I'm going to do this myself. I don't need anybody's help. All you're doing is creating more work for yourself because a lot of people have already figured out the nuts and bolts and you can just copy that and save yourself a lot of heartache. Believe me, there's so much other difficulty in the path between idea and manifestation that you're going to want some shortcuts. It's amazing when you go and learn from someone else how you can compress 10 years of learning down into a year of or a week of education that can then expedite you past a lot of the simple barriers and allow you to spend your time and energy on the stuff that actually makes a difference. Uh, and yeah. I, I completely agree. The amount of time and energy I've spent on training courses and learning, I don't think it matters where I am on that process. Always remember listening to Craig Valentine. He was the 1999 world champion of public speaking. And apparently he won the world championship of public speaking. He's flying home to see his family. And on the way home, he stops for a book to read on the plane. And you know what he buys a book on? What? how to improve his speaking skills. <laughs> right. And I just, that stuck with me instantly. That The reason he won the championship is that idea that there's always more to learn. And that's why he was learning. That's why he got to where he was. And that's why he'll keep improving. And that's driven me to continue to learn. And actually, I think that's part of the creativity as well. Because you go learn this stuff. And it inspires you with all sorts of ideas and energy and ways to do things. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the ironies about pursuing a creative life is that it actually gets harder the more experienced you become. I don't know what that is. It's some bizarre rule of inverse <laughs> some something. <laughs> but getting through the basics takes enormous effort and focus. But it's kind of like the Zen master. Once you get the ninja level, it actually is much more difficult. I don't know what that is. Interesting. But, but the, the level of complexity increases as opposed to decreases. Like on, on playing with fire, uh, I haven't really talked to people about this, but for people who've seen them. So for anybody who's seen a documentary, there's a very typical thing that happens where talking heads will come in and they'll kind of tell you what's going on. And it's just part of the genre, right? Like you see some B-roll pictures of like a city and you hear a guy saying, you know, cities are really complex. They're like living beings. You know, they have trash and they have sewers and blah, blah, blah. And you're seeing pictures of the cities, right? Yeah. So with playing with fire, I didn't want to do that. And I wanted to use sit down interviews in a novel way. And so it took me a while to figure this out, but what I did was I thought back to the ancient Greek plays where they employed a chorus. So for anybody who's studied playwriting, there's probably like two of you out there, <laughs> um, the Greeks had this thing where you would see action on stage and then there was a chorus down in the front that would comment through like basically religious commentary on what was happening in the action. So like a brother would kill another, his, his brother, and then the chorus would say, oh, this is exactly what Zeus said not to do in the world, because these are, this is the consequences of murder and blah, blah, blah. And so that's what I tr tried to do with the chorus of experts in playing with fire, was they both drive the action and comment on the action instead of create the actual narrative itself. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, it's a completely different way of doing it to bring a different spin. Yeah, 
And I looked everywhere to find an example of how that worked in, in documentary filmmaking. And I would love if anybody can give, if anybody listening can tell me where, I could not find an example of that, that being done. And so my editor and I were like, sitting there, we're like, did we just invent a new way of telling stories through documentaries? I'm sure that we didn't, because I don't think that there are any new ideas fundamentally. Well, the Greeks came up with it. I'm afraid they beat you by a few thousand right, years. Right, exactly. But the Greeks did it. But as far <laughs> as we could see, like nobody's ever applied the Greek rule of dramaturgy to the document. You know what I mean? Yes. So that was so fun to try to crack that. And that's what I'm talking about, about the level of complexity. I think the level of complexity comes that actually when you're a beginner and you're throwing an idea out into the world, you don't know what you don't know. So you just do it and then you figure it out along the way. Whereas if you understand the subject too well, you try and think through everything before you even start and it becomes more challenging. Yeah, it's so weird how that happens. Anyway, let's not discourage people from getting going. Well, that's part of this is taking an idea and getting going and getting it out there. And definitely. So look, Travis, the, well, number one, thanks for listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur. You need to watch the Playing With Fire documentary to see what Travis created. I think it's a fantastic example of creativity. And yeah, having listened to this, I'm sure you're inspired to do it. I've watched it three or four times now, and it is an excellent example. And Travis took that problem of how do you make spreadsheets and the 4% rule interesting and turned it into a documentary with Scott Rickens. So definitely get that. Where can they find a copy, Travis? So we're on all the major SVOD platforms, Amazon, iTunes, and so on. There's also our website, which is www.playingwithfire.co. C-O. Excellent. So make sure you check that out. And the next project of uh, producing a Broadway show <laughs> where are you on that one what's happening with that one so as i said i'm just starting to get investors lined up i'm trying to attach a director and looking at attaching talent so early days on that one the covid thing is going to be an interesting problem to try to solve as we go through this because live theater has all but shut down completely but i'm hoping that over the next year i'll be able to raise the funds that are required it's the biggest raise I've ever tried to get. A Broadway show costs something like one and a half million dollars to open. Wow. That doesn't include weekly costs. So it's a big raise, but I'm excited. I, I have a really amazing story and it's very timely. And like I said, I, I, feel, like, I feel like there's some heat around it. So I'm, I'm feeling very optimistic about that, that project. Can you pre-sell the tickets to raise the money that way? You know, that's a great question because we did some of that with Playing With Fire because we did do our GoFundMe campaign, yes. Kickstarter, rather. I don't know if that's been a, a, a path forward. Thank you for that. I'll, I'll check. That's <laughs> <laughs> what this whole show is about, is about making those <laughs> ideas real without going into debt. Uh, and when yeah. you said about raising one and a half million dollars, I think my heart stopped at several points there. <laughs> that is a huge <laughs> amount of money to get first to then sell the tickets. I know. It's crazy. It's just nuts. The business of, of live theater is crazy. Is it profitable? I mean, like raising that much money and then is it it's, only the top few that make money back or? Yes, it's extremely risky. In fact, it's so risky that you have to be an accredited investor in order to invest in the, in the show. It's like venture capital. Wow. Is that because just, people have to realize they're probably going to lose their money? There's a good chance they'll lose their money. Yeah. but. If you get a Hamilton or Book of Mormon, you're financially independent and then some. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's, it's risk versus reward. This is sounding more and more like gambling, Travis. <laughs> um, it really is like gambling. <laughs> I don't understand why it's gotten to be. It, it's kind of ridiculous that something as simple as theater you know, which was with us through all humanity until basically the talkies got created in like the 30s. Like it's only been 100 years since the theater was the predominant form of entertainment. Yes, it was the form of entertainment. Like that's what you did. And it cost like a nickel to go to like the best show. And now it's like 
you got to, you know, wait for three years and spend $900 to get a ticket to Hamilton. It's obscene <laughs> and makes no sense whatsoever. I cannot but I'm not wait doing, I'm, to see. I'm not doing it like playing with fire. I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing it because I have a passion for the project and I want to see it birthed in the world. And I think it will help people to see it. I love that. And that's the heart of what will give you the energy and the power to get through creating it and get through raising the money and making the thing happen is that desire to improve the world. Yeah, that's just it, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, if you look at all the great entrepreneurs, like you look at Elon Musk or Warren Buffett or any of the greats, they set out to solve a problem that would have a direct impact on the welfare of other people. And I think those are the most powerful ideas. Those and the paperclip. And the paperclip. Well, he has directly <laughs> impacted my life in many, or he or she, or whoever created it, has directly impacted my life in many ways uh, and true. enabled me to hold myself together. Uh, <laughs> but it is quite interesting. I think let's just, I think that's a very grandiose idea. I'd like to just tie it down because I've spoken to people about my mission to change the way entrepreneurship is taught to help people make their own money and take control of their financial life. And that's what I'm out there doing. And it sounds very grandiose, but business, even the smallest ideas can improve people's lives. And I always remember a business that we were helping in Kent and she was starting a cat toy business and she was producing cat toys. And she was like, this is not changing the world. I was like, Well, it's giving cat owners something to give to their pets. They're happier the pets are happier, you're making the world a slightly happier place. And I think sometimes people think they need to have huge, grandiose ideas, and they don't. They just need to make the world slightly better in their own way. And I think that's an important one to remember, Travis. I think you're absolutely right. And also, you know, this isn't about altruism either, just to go back to playing with fire. It gave me great pleasure to do that. And when I got to do screenings of it and see how it impacted people, and look, it's a documentary on personal finance. Like, it's not going to be a blockbuster. <laughs> well, I don't know you about know? that. When you voted uh, <laughs> like one of the top 10 financial documentaries of the decade by Forbes. Yes, that was a great article, but I don't think very many people saw it. Um, <laughs> I read it. <laughs> I think it's incredible. Thank you. <laughs> but I, you know, I got a lot of pleasure and satisfaction out of it. And for the woman who's making cat toys, I bet she was too. She probably loves cats. She does indeed. She loves cats. She has great energy. And I still follow her on Facebook and my timeline is filled with pictures of cat toys. Even though I'm allergic to them, I get a little bit of joy every time I see that picture. But it's true. I mean, yes, it is not necessary to be grandiose about these things. And, and you're within your right to also enjoy what you're doing. Like, it should give you some kind of pleasure. Otherwise, you're just torturing yourself. Anybody who's had a, a bad job already knows all about that. Yeah, we don't need any more torture in the world. And <laughs> I've got this mission, but I'll tell you what, nothing excites me more than sitting down with someone who's passionate and talking about their ideas and helping them bring it to life. So selfishly, I'm on this mission to make the world a better place, but it's giving me a lot as well. Right. And look at all the amazing people you get to meet and talk to. That's why I do it. That is exactly yeah. the reason why I do it. You get the yeah. people to help. So Travis, we know where people can find the Playing With Fire documentary. Where can people find out more about you and what you do? Sure. I have a website called TravisShakespeare.com. It's not a very robust website, but people can see what I'm up to and contact me if they need be. Yeah. I love that. Is there a creativity exercise or something you would ask our audience to do to improve their skills? Is there some homework you can set us? Because like, we're all a bit of a geek here. We love a bit of homework. If we were to improve our creativity skills, what would you tell us to go off and do? So I'll, I'll give you two ideas. One is to come up with 100 ideas. And I would do that in a relatively short amount of time. Like I would time myself to sit down for an hour a day and do that every single day until I got to 100 unique ideas. The reason for that is because 
that's that's an effort to get to the one out of the hundred that's an okay or good idea worth <laughs> worth manipulating and worth thinking more about because 99 of them are either going to be bad ideas untenable ideas or you're just not going to be into them you know like making paperclip holders that'll put me to sleep in two seconds but it, it's an it idea. Is an idea yes <laughs> refining the ballpoint pen you know what i mean so I would do that. And the other thing is, one thing that we've been experimenting with are time blocks, which I think are very, very important because kind of like making the outrageous commitment that we discussed, like spending $5,000 to hire a lawyer to do this thing. And I, I wouldn't suggest people do that on a first outing, like make sure you know <laughs> what you're getting into if you're going to drop that kind of money. But having a, a container that is a container that you are committed to, I think is very powerful. So we ran experiments with three different kinds of time blocks. And I think everybody works in their own way. So you might try this out, try all three out. First, try working in 20 minute stints five times a day. So sit down with a timer and work on your project, work on your creativity, do your mood board, writing your stuff, ideate, jot down your ideas for 20 minutes at a time, five times a day, and block that out on your calendar. Mm. The reason why I came up with that one was because that approximates what happens when we're in a busy world or what happens like when we're at our jobs. Most people don't spend eight hours working at work. Most people spend something like three hours working and five hours like, you know, walking to the kitchen and talking to their colleagues, whatever. I think that's even generous, Travis. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, I know. And depending on the job. If you're working in the government, it's like 20, you get 20 minutes of work done a day. But so for those of you that are, that are in a cubicle, or when you get back to the cubicle after COVID goes away, you can do this timing, you know, and instead of like wasting time watching YouTube videos, take 20 minutes, block it off, put your headphones on and work. So that's, that's why we tried that. The next is to do a 90-minute time block. And the reason why we like the 90-minute time block is because there's been studies about the human brain and the, the brain cycles. And it turns out that 90 minutes is a good amount of time to really work, do creative thinking and then take a break. And you can do that one twice in a day. Yes. And then the third one is to do one three-hour long block. Turn everything off. Eliminate all distractions. Get off your computer. If you must write on your computer... You can, but it's better to get a legal pad and a pen or a pencil and sit in the park and work for three hours. That's what somebody like Einstein would have done or, you know, when you were talking about him just sort of noodling. Yes. And just sit there for three hours and noodle. Now, we found that that's the most challenging heads up, but it's worth the exercise because you enter a level of creativity that deepens over time. You'll basically go through that 90-minute block where you'll start needing a break and you'll want to get up and leave and, and abandon the experiment. But then you recommit to another 90 minutes and a new level will emerge. How's that? It's incredible. It, you've given me something to do. I love the 100 idea thing. And I think you're exactly right. That is something I have done repeatedly throughout my career and works really well. And I see creativity as a muscle. And if you use it every day coming up with ideas, you get stronger and stronger and your ideas get stronger. Mm -hmm. I love the time boxes. And I would have said to you, I'm a 90 minute man. I, mm -hmm. I can sit down and I can put out my ideas and 90 minutes to two hours and I'm probably spent and I need a break and a reset. I've not really tried the three hour thing. So that's my mission. That's what I'm going to do is I'm going to have a go at a three hour creativity session. I'm going to schedule it in and I'm going to go away and do it. And thank you for those exercises and those thoughts. And that's what I'm all about is what can you actually practically take away and do? And you've given us two great things to go off and do. Excellent. I look forward to hearing how that goes for you. I will report back. Uh, and if you're listening to the podcast, please also report back and let us know how the 100 ideas and the time boxing of your creative efforts go. Travis Shakespeare, you are a legend. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom, your ideas and your energy. And if there's anything I or the audience can do to support you, we are here to help. Thank you so much, Alan. This has been really, really fun. Appreciate it. Excellent.
check out playingwithfire.co. Watch the documentary and have a look. Thanks for tuning in. This is The Rebel Entrepreneur and goodbye. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.